This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Well, we are back with this episode of Reclaiming Families. This is part two of our um, discussion through Eric Erickson's psychosocial theory. So, um, again, we are talking through psychosocial theory, which is um, a theory <laughs> through conception to... Yeah, it's a theory of human development. Yeah, human growth and development through conception um, through the old years. And so we're looking at a book from, uh, written by Barb and Philip Newman called development through life, a psychosocial approach. And again, this is not necessarily a Christian book. Um, it's secular science, but we feel like it lines up really well with God's design and that we are able to see the beauty of God's design in this. And I think you especially see, like you see it in the younger stages, but I think you really start to see God's design in the older stages, especially toward the end of life hmm. and, uh, and how the gospel does empower you to hit the healthy, um, psychosocial crisis and land on the healthy side of it. And I think how to me, which I think he you has know, my humble, but correct opinion <laughs> is, um, you can hit all these development markers and you can, um, without, without the gospel, I think you can, like people do it all the time, right? but the gospel just empowers you to hit these markers, especially toward the end of life. Yeah. And, uh, and on that note, in our previous episode, a lot of the responsibility, um, falls on the parents to kind of help these things happen. But as we get into early adolescence, age 12, 18, you know, 30s, 40s, the responsibility then goes on to the individual, on to me to make these things happen. And so it doesn't really matter at that point. Like, I mean, it does matter. There's If there's been a lot of trauma or these, um, you know, horrible events that have happened in the past. But at that point, it's like it's no longer on our caregivers. It's on you it's on me to to make sure that we're you know maybe going to counseling getting a good group of you know bible believing accountability and um community around us to help us you know continue in life with a a good trajectory where we're not going into more psychosocial crisis and you know what i'm trying to say yeah, i feel like we're I developing just, we're continuing to develop yeah okay and I'm uh, jumbled, but. no you're great we're continuing to develop on track you know as far as this theory goes and so and this theory is not law you know it's not written in stone but it is a pretty good theory as far as what i've seen so far and uh the only thing that we'll talk about in a little, little later in this episode is this Later adolescence um, was kind of extended. Yeah, we'll adolescence. Talk about that. So we'll talk about it. But do we need to say anything about education again? Because some people might not listen to the end of our last episode. Um. Yeah. We're let's. We can briefly just. We'll overview. briefly say it. We just want to remind all of everybody out there that it's the parents' responsibility to educate your children. 
And so it's not the responsibilities of schools or, or anything like that. So we just kind of want to charge parents to know what your children are being taught in school. And if you don't like it, then do something about it. Yeah. Because we as parents hire schools. It's not just like they have to do this, but it's like we are responsible for educating them. We've hired teachers and we've hired schools to educate our children. And we also have the power to, for lack of better words, fire them. Maybe not from the school, but from educating our children and finding a different and it could be a hard route, but anyways, we won't start raining about that again. That's right. Well, we're, we're not done raining. Okay, about we're exactly, not done raining. But, but Let's yeah, keep it's raining. like you have the responsibility, and you bear the consequences. Yeah, right for yeah, what yeah. people teach your children. And uh, so, example, like if you're in a school and the the teacher is telling your child who's a a boy that they're now a girl, and uh, and they don't tell you about it because they don't, you know, they've chosen not to. You bear the consequences of, yeah, you're the one that's going to live with the future of that girl. That teacher is not going to live with the future of that girl. And so you bear the consequences. So you be sure that your children um, are being educated according to your um, terms and standards. Yeah, that's right. right. And so... uh, and so, yeah, take take your child's education very seriously. And then our last thing that we ended with in the last episode that we'll begin with here is that there's so much grace in all of this. Um, it could feel like, oh my gosh, I failed as a parent or I failed as a human as we're getting into these later that's right, stages that's right. of development. And we would just say, hey, there is so much grace and um but along with that grace, there's a lot of responsibility, and we want to be empowered to pursue, um, you know, or, or human development, yeah, and the God's right growth, for- yeah, that's right, these milestones, and so, um, so yeah, let's hold them both in tension, right? Yeah, I err uh, on grace. That's right. He errs on rules. <laughs> Well, maybe justice. Yeah, I don't, oh. I don't know how you'd say it. But, Anyways, um, so right, we start. picked up, or we left off at age 12. And um, so the next group, which this might, it's not one of my favorite groups, actually. But I think that this is one of the most developmental stages of my life. And so I like it a lot, is early adolescence, ages 12 through 18. Yep. So some of the developmental tasks that you learn in this um, age are physical maturation. You hit puberty. Yep. Formal operations, emotional development, membership in the peer group, and romantic and sexual relationships. Yeah. And so, I mean, just take a second and remember yourself as like a 16-year-old. No, remember yourself as a 13-year-old and just kind of laugh for a second because if you're our age and you're a girl, you're probably wearing blue mascara and glitter eyeshadow. Jeepers. Yeah, Ellie won't do that, though. They don't, they don't do that anymore. I don't know why. It was a tradition for years, but... Anyways, so that physical maturation <laughs> is like, you hit puberty and everything changes. It's like, right. you know, you're wanting to fit in, so you have that makeup. Your body's changing. You guys, your voices are changing. And you're like, the way you view relationships starts to change. The way you view the opposite sex starts to change. You begin to have, like, emotional development. This is, yeah. I, I'm just taking myself back to middle school where right. um, 
my friends used to always say, like, we got to go talk to the guidance counselor. And that was, like, the way to get out of class for a little bit. Because, like, teachers would never say, no, you can't go talk to the guidance counselor. So my whole group of friends would go meet in the guidance counselor's office. And we just sit in there, kick back and, and hang out together for a class period or something. But it sounds that, like you had a horrible guidance counselor. I don't think she knew that we were in there, honestly. Yeah, bad one. But, you know, so there's this emotional development because maybe someone was crying when we were in there. I don't even remember. But there's like a friendship development where you're not just yeah, you playing peers. together That's anymore, right. but you're actually talking about stuff. That's right. And stuff that matters to you a lot in that stage. What were you like at that time? Yeah, I really can't remember what I was like um, in that time. I wasn't very cool in high school. I was actually pretty timid and uh, I did have uh, my biggest thing was to fit in to find a peer group and to be like them and uh, I think I actually did that very well and uh, and so I definitely learned group identity that's the psychosocial crisis yeah is group identity versus alienation Mm. and uh, and if you do that well if you if you um you get group identity by peer pressure. And so that's not always negative That's right. peer pressure. Right. That can be good peer pressure too. So think about like, okay, I fit into this group because we all study together and because or no, talk about you and Jet swimming and like that competition and being the best. That's good peer pressure. Yeah, yeah. It was just uh yeah, it's just that your the expectations that your peers have. Right yeah. and uh, and Randy's dad always says that he was as success, as successful as he was because, because his of, best friend that's right. Jet, that's who right. was always he was always striving for excellence. Right, he was the, he was the guy that was um, making good grades. He was industrious, swimming right? fast. That's right, we're on swim team. Creative, so, talented. And my dad told me later, he's like, Randy, you and Jet always competed, right? And so. Jet was fast. You try to be just fast as him, and he was fast, and you try to be just fast, and and it made us great swimmers. And then um, he was always a little bit better than me, but it made us both great. And then yeah, guitar. He started playing that instrument. He was great at it. I wanted to learn to play an instrument. I was not so great. I found out that my rhythm is just you know lacking, <laughs> and I don't know at what stage you develop your rhythm in. But mine just didn't develop. And, and even today, I'm so timid just in clapping my hands because I know from those stages of life that I have no rhythm. And, uh, and it is pretty interesting. But it's the idea that we were competing, but that was the peer group yeah. in those ages. was Another it, time for you would be like football, like being on the football team. That's right. And for me, like it was that I just, I never, I guess I was on a team. I played softball and soccer, but even me playing soccer was trying to fit into a group. Like I was, a, I was a really bad soccer player. <laughs> um, I made the B team though, and I did get to play goalie for a little bit for the A team. But like, I didn't fit in because I, I, I cut. I well, it's a long story. But I didn't fit. <laughs> I wasn't athletic enough to fit in with the soccer team but I really wanted to and so I went to like extreme measures I actually in my middle school I tried out for almost every single sports team I wasn't afraid of failure that's right that's what I love about my wife she's not afraid to fail and I failed most times I did make that B team for soccer eventually good job yeah I uh and so we'll talk about those those teams but basically what were we even talking about peer pressure peer pressure and so peer pressuring each other to get 
into to form a group identity. I, that's that right, was what I was right. talking about. Jen. And so, and if you learn the prime adaptive eagle quality is fidelity to others. So yeah. you're going to learn to be faithful to your friends. To be faithful to your friends. And then if you do not learn group identity, okay, if you become alienated, you your core pathology is, is going to be disassociation. Disassociation. So that's kind of where you're separate and withdrawn from others and really and truly you're I would say you're unable to kind of have a bond, like a mutual bond. You're either going to be codependent or like needy or unable to connect, keeping everybody at an arm's length. That's right. And so let's just define a few of these things. Fidelity to, to others. It's a positive resolution of the psychosocial crisis of a group identity versus alienation results in the achievement of a prime adaptive. I mean, I, I wrote down some of these words. I, there's so many of these big words in here, but basically... In Fidelity essence, to others is being faithful to your friends. Yeah, it's a, it's a capacity to freely pledge one's loyalty to a group and to sustain one's faithfulness to the promises and commitments that one makes to others, right? So you're becoming a good friend. And, uh, and you're also, you know, you're seeking the, the positive aspect of the group, right? You want to build the group. You care about the group. Um, and I was just thinking like, there's so many groups that you are a part of. And I think our nation as a whole in the past did this so much better because, um, nowadays it's almost like, you know, groups are non-existent, but in the back, in the past you had Rotary Club and 4-H, you were part of all these groups that were doing things in society. The Daughters of the Rook. The DAR. The DAR. You know, you had all these groups that you're part the of. The SAR. And they, they were all fostering this sense of um, group identity. And uh, and I just think the Pledge of Ameri- of Pledge of Allegiance, it fosters a group identity. Your school mascot and your school... Having um, pep rallies before games. Oh, my goodness. Fostering that group identity. Hey, you Saying are the Girl a, Scout pledge together. Yeah, you're a Girl Scout. And so you're you're building this group identity, and it's good development especially in this age you need to form these group identities is what this theory is saying and uh and it becomes a lot more difficult whenever screens and social media come onto the scene and so if you can't figure out peer pressure right if you can't uh if you can't learn um how to be part of the group what's going to happen is you're going to end up being alienated yeah and just i mean we all know what that means without having to read some but I wrote it down. We got to read it. Wordy definition. But think about like when you feel alienated from a group, it's like, I don't belong. I don't have my people. And so, you know, you, it's like when I think about someone who's been alienated, I think about someone who's alone and sad and like they don't have anyone to come alongside of them and support them. And that's where that disassociation comes into play yeah yeah i like it says this sense of um you don't have a a common identity a common bond yeah and uh, so you're saying hey that's not who i am i'm different you know i'm not i'm not pro um you know mobuck was our team mascot or pro cherokee high school i'm i'm against i'm not i'm not really for the I'm football an individual. team i'm an individual it's like you were actually just alienating yourself and uh but there are some people who want to belong who don't know how to belong. That's right. And they haven't learned, right? They haven't developed. Right. And they Because even when you're the people that are like, I'm an individual You want to be you, part of the group. You're that that is your group. The individuals are the group. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just a mask, yeah. really. It's a mask. And, and so, um, you know, peer pressure is going to play a part, but in, at early adolescence, 12 to 18 years old. Crucial time in life. To learn your group identity. And I think, too, that is where, um, you know, having a group identity of a – go ahead. You want to say something? I do. Well, you you can finish your sentence. Well, yeah. So a group identity of – this is where your church – I think comes into play. Yeah, and uh, not just I know Hillary will say a bunch of. She was in youth group. I was in like a youth group, but I, like I was not a believer at that time. And Randy so, thinks that youth groups are lame, and I think that youth groups are very formative. I don't think they're lame. I think they're. I think they are formative. I think they can be lame, but uh, I think that uh, they can be done better. Mine but, was done well. But the but, point <laughs> is, the point is to have a youth group, to have a group, to be part of a church. That has a culture where there is a peer pressure to um, be part of the group, to live a moral life. And so as you navigate your physical maturation, as you navigate romantic relationships, then uh, your emotional development, you have this group around you to help you navigate that well. Yeah. And so parents... As we are discipling our children um, that are ages 12 through 18, it's really important um, that we disciple them to know their identity in Christ because, you know, friend groups will change, clubs will change, roles, responsibilities will change, but your standing with God once you are in Christ does not change. You will always be a child of God. And so it's important primarily that we disciple them in that. I've heard it said, and I fully believe it for myself as well, that one of the most important things that a believer can understand, aside from the the basics of the gospel, is their identity in Christ, because it's their identity in Christ that fuels them to continue pursuing God and pursuing His ways. And so... And that was actually built in early early school age, right? It's continuing on through right. this but age. But just as we continue talking laid. about the like identity being so important, let's set a firm yeah. gospel identity. And then it's important that we disciple our children in their friend groups and in their romantic and sexual relationships. So parents, it is on us to have these conversations with our kids about sex. It's not, again, it's not the school's responsibility. It's not the youth group's responsibility. It's not a pastor's responsibility. It is your responsibility. And um, in a few weeks. Yeah, a little plug, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be having a counselor, Emily King, come on and talk just about that. And then later on, she's going to be leading a seminar and how to talk to your kids about puberty and sex. And so um, be looking for more information about that. But early adolescence... And really, uh, middle childhood, that's the time that we start talking about this, but we really have to continue that conversation on, especially about friends and um, romantic relationships. But yeah. let's move on. Yeah. So ladder, later, yeah, later yeah. adolescence. Later or ladder? I don't know. I just thought it was later. I think it's later, too. Ladder would be a D. Ladder. No, ladder is two Ts, I think. Oh, well, I was just doing, you know, it sounded out like you were. Um, but I know that word's later. Okay. Tomato, tomato, maybe. <laughs> That's right. So later adolescence, 18 to 24 years old. Um, you know, some of the developmental tasks 
developmental tasks that are learned is autonomy from parents, your gender identity, um, internalized morality, and career choice. Yeah. And I just think about autonomy from parents. When we worked in college ministry, we all the time heard testimonies about like, yeah, I started living my faith for myself away from my parents for the first time. Or on the flip side, I got away from my parents. And so I decided like I didn't want to go to church or I was kind of, I wasn't really a Christian or. Right. And I mean, that that's not just spiritually, but. Yeah. But that's in all become, aspects. You're, what you really, um, like your morality that you really have, you start to live it out. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, not always, especially not with like the upsurgence in community college, but for a lot of times, 18, um, later adolescence is the first time that you are living away from your parents, not all the time under your parents' roof. And so that's big. Gender identity is really big here. Um, And so a lot of times if, and, and you know, I would say this is probably earlier now in society. We talked about this in the last episode, but this is where people um, begin to experiment more with their gender and gender identity. We're firm believers that there's only two genders um, and that there's only, God's design is a male and a female. Um, but this is when there is a lot more exploration about that, probably because you're out in the world again away from your parents. Yep. Um, and then you're picking a career, kind of what you're going to do for um, your life, how you're going to, um, how you're going to fit into our yeah. economy, yeah. right? How you're going to help the per- um, It the comes nation, back to that purpose. Like, that's right. Am I going to, like, do I want to have a career that gives back? Do I want to have a helping profession? Do I, I want to do something with my hands? And so you're having to figure out, and even weighing through, like, do I want to do something that I really enjoy for less pay? Or do I want to do something I enjoy less for more pay? You, you're, you're weighing through all yeah. that. And I like how you're saying, you're saying, do I want to do this? Is you're kind of figuring out who you are. Yeah. Yeah, your, your, your identity. And, uh, and that comes with that internalized morality. Yep. And so, yeah, it's like what you really believe, right? So your parents have taught you, you know, morality, or they've taught you their values, whether, you know, they were like, Christian values or not, right? We, we value uh, watching sports. We value whatever these things. You've learned all these values your whole life. And this is the time in life where you're going to um, really adopt those values that you've learned. Mm-hmm. and uh, Or not adopt or them. Or pick up new values. Or pick up new values. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah. Oh, there- do you want to talk about what's kind of unique about this stage of life? Uh, well, it, okay, well, I'll tell you. This stage of life... Um, has only changed to later adolescence in the recent past. This was actually early adulthood to start. Um, but oh, yeah. as more people started to go to college and were getting married uh, later and later, they changed this to later adolescence. And so a lot of men, later adolescent boys, I'm going to call men, were graduating college, not getting married, and going back home to live, live at home. And so, um, at some point, I don't, I don't know when it was, but this stage of life changed to later adolescence because of the delay in 
people's development. And yeah. so, and so this theory is not like a, this is what it should be, but this is like this their, is what it is. Th- yeah. This is what it is, and this is like what we see is healthy. This is what we see is unhealthy. So this is just—it's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but it's just saying the culture of you go to college for the most part has changed this to to adolescence. We're not we're not growing up as quick as we used to be, which I guess I think is kind of a negative thing. But yeah. I know, like, I think it's very negative. I fell right into yeah. that. I went to college, and you know, didn't. Yep, me yeah. too. I, I didn't get too. married till I was twenty-eight. But whose fault's that? That's right. It's my fault. He didn't ask me. I, uh, and so it's a, uh, but it is a sense of like I was still, I wasn't, oh, I hadn't grown up, right? I hadn't really learned who I am. And so I do believe I'm, I'm a firm believer that about, you know, fifteen years old, like you are really, yo, know, back in the day, yo. Know, Kids were going to college, graduating college at the same time that they're, you know, uh, going to college nowadays, and uh, and so. Wait, th- what did you say? I'm saying that people were graduating college. No, they weren't going to college. They're being entrepreneurs. You can't graduate. You can't go to high school and then graduate college at 18. I'm telling you, back in the day, like you read about guys like, uh, who's the great American theologian? Um, I cannot believe. Um, Edwards, well, I would guys just, like they're they're. I'm saying there's there's really smart guys, but some people past. were just like getting married and going to war at 17. That's probably more of what was happening than being done with college at 17. Yeah, my point is, you. you I think your children can mature a lot faster yeah. with good parenting and send uh, them off to war with a wife. <laughs> that's right. But no, it's like have them. Be men and women, right? Who are developed, who take responsibility, and uh, and who know who they are, right? Who have a group identity, and who know their individual identity, and try to instill that in them sooner than later. Yeah. So and, uh, you said group individual identity, which brings us into the psychosocial crisis of group identity. I mean, sorry, individual identity versus indi- identity, identity confusion. confusion. That's right. So we were just talking about group identity. Now we're moving into individual identity. And you kind of learn that by your role experimentation. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, hey, I'm stepping into my identity as, um, for myself, I would say, um, if I was a Christian at that point, which I was not, or you know, it's somewhere in this area I became a Christian, is I'm a believer who is a man, who is a um, engineer who is a, um, I don't know, kind of have a, a country boy kind of past. Yeah. And so that's who I, that's who I am. And I'd say even more simply put, I mean, I, again, I think that that gospel identity is the primary thing, Yeah. but as far as this role experimentation plays in one of my first jobs, I remember my freshman year of college, I was looking for a job. I wanted to be a nurse. So this role experimentation comes in. And I do clinicals, like not like clinicals in nursing school, but like a shadowing type clinicals. And I pass out all the time. And then I'm like, I'm going to go work at a nursing home because I love to take care of people. And this is like kind of shameful. I worked at the nursing home for less than eight hours before I quit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know about shameful, but you le- definitely learned what that you like. I, and don't like you know? Yeah, it was role experimentation. And then I went over to a restaurant and waited tables and was happy there for my entire college career, you know? That's and right. so it was just me realizing, like, okay, maybe public health 
where they kind of joke is where the nursing students go where they don't make it through nursing school and I'll happily take that but it's like I I realized I fit there I realized I fit in the the sorority um, more than other groups on campus and so I was kind of experimenting with joining these clubs and doing different things at school and I began to find my place And, and similarly like as I got a little bit older I graduated college I was involved with some different campus ministries in college and I realized like I love to share my faith and I'm like I'm I love this sorority life I loved the campus ministry life and it kind of came together in job form for yeah. me where I you know went on staff of the college ministry and I feel like I, I really thrived for years on staff with that college ministry as I'm experimenting with these roles yeah I like what you're saying because you're, what you're saying is by your experimenting, you learned fidelity to your values. I did, and right? that is our um, our, prime our prime adaptive, adaptive ego quality. That's right. And so I, I learned fidelity to values. I realized in my mind, I thought that I should value like taking care of old people, but when it came down to it, that wasn't really your values. That wasn't my values. Like I knew that that's valuable to society, but not what I wanted to give my life away to. But I really value personally sharing my faith with harder to reach people that are around me. And so, and then my values began to even develop as I went on staff with campus outreach in the, you know, that those years, 20 to 22, I started to value reaching the lost world and and reaching different parts of the world. And so... Yeah, and I was aligning my life to fulfill some of these values. I have a high value of a social life, and that played out in college with where I worked. And, and you know, it played out in sometimes I would skip class to hang out with my friends. I valued friends over grades. Yeah, and I did not value that. It worked out well for me, so it's That's okay. Right. That's right. And uh, but yeah, it's and so if you don't if you don't do kind of role experimentation, if you don't try new things, um, if you don't really learn who you are, it leads to what's it lead to? I don't know that word. Repudiation. See, and this is what I'm talking about. This book uses these great words that I mean we should know, but well, what it means though, whatever this word is, if we sound it out, it looks it like repudiation. Repudiation. That's repudiation. what it looks like. And either way, what the word... It refers to a rejection of certain values, beliefs, and roles. In the extreme case, repudiation, I think it's repudiation, results in a hostile rejection of all the ideas, values, and groups that do not adhere to your own beliefs. So it's kind of funny in the political environment that we're in, if it's a rejection of other people's ideas, or I would, it could even be a denial of truth or a denial of like the validity of something. But we see that in the political world where, and you know, we're guilty of it. Yeah. And, you know, just the left and the right side not being able to even be friends with each other if they disagree and so that's that's what this is talking about it's like your idea is dumb your beliefs are dumb and i can't you know i can't accept you or i can't accept anything associated with you because of what you believe yeah i think the healthy version of it is hey i know who i am i know what i value and i can have a discussion with you 
and I can talk about what you believe, what you value, what you think, and we can have a conversation. But at the end of the day, I don't hate you for different values. I just see you as you have different values. And they're, they're right, wrong, right? There are all sorts of different things. But the, the undeveloped person can't do that. They can't have a conversation. They have to only smear and slander. And um, they're unwilling to debate and mm-hmm. talk about issues. Probably they don't know how to debate. Yeah, because they're underdeveloped. And they haven't learned in this stage, they call it latter adolescence, um, how to develop a strong individual identity. And uh, and yeah. So I was like, wow, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And so we need to teach our children. And we need to become, actually at this point, you're not teaching me anymore. We need to become men and women in this stage of, of theory where you know who you are. Like that's what we should be figuring out is, and where are your values and hold fast to your values. That's good. But also be able to love and respect other people. And listen. To their values. And actually understand their values, not just listen to talk back, but listen to understand. Right, that's right. We don't have to, we don't have to be like repugnant. That's a good word. Or uh, repute their, we don't have to, you know, hate those people for different values. We can actually love those people with different values. And, uh, and yeah, we can definitely have conversations, open dialogue. So I think that's a pretty wild kind of critique of the culture. It's a, I think what we're seeing is there is a group of millennials and a group of Gen Z's who are actually probably underdeveloped in knowing who they are. Yeah. That's big. Or knowing their their values and why they value it. Yeah, not only did they not develop in early adolescence, but we've created a new category called latter adolescence, (laughs) and they still haven't, you know, learned these or who they are. Yeah. And we haven't either fully, you know, it's like, I would say, you know, we're not perfect in this aspect either, right? But We aren't. Yeah, it's like, but we have to strive to, hey, know who we are, know yourself, so... All right, let's do do we have to, let's do one more and then yeah. we'll split the next three in another episode. But let's dive into when we finally hit it, early adulthood, age twenty four to thirty four, the developmental tasks. Yeah, this is our um, our age group. Yeah, and so the developmental tasks are exploring intimate relationships, childbearing, work, and lifestyle. And so I think of exploring intimate relationships. I think you are experiencing marriage, right? And you're experiencing... Well, not only marriage. Not only marriage, but friendships with other people. Deep ones. Deeper friendships as life goes on. Yeah. Childbearing, you know, you are... If you're... You know, you're... Physically, you might be pregnant and giving birth. You might be walking right. into fatherhood. You might be exploring adoption options or fostering. That's right. And so... Uh, you're getting more into your work career. Yep. And then you're setting a lifestyle, you know. What financial standard do we want? What kind of house do we want? Uh, who, what kind of friends do I want? What kind of time do I want to give to um, family? What kind of time do I want to give to church? What kind of time do I want to give to X, Y, Z? You're, you're building a lifestyle. And the psychosocial crisis that comes with this, a, this, uh, this time is... Um... This life stage is intimacy versus isolation. Which is really, that's pretty 
interesting Very to interesting. me. And I think that this is where, you know, we've talked about where the gospel plays in so, or like God's design plays in so much to these when I think about intimacy versus um, isolation because intimacy is the ability to experience an open, supportive, tender relationship with another person without fear of losing your own identity in the process. And so, you know, there's the um, Tim Keller quote that's like, ultimately, something along the lines of... Our greatest fear. Yeah, our greatest fear is to be... Well, we all desire to be fully known and fully accepted. And so when we're fully known, we fear that we're going to be fully accepted. When we're fully accepted, we fear to be fully known. But intimacy is being fully known and fully accepted. And obviously that can only perfectly be done in Christ. The next place would be a healthy marriage. Um, But there can also be pictures of that in peer groups, in in healthy friendships with one another, where we're where we're known, where we're vulnerable, where we support one another. And so intimacy, um, the the central process for intimacy is is friendships among peers. And um, were you going to say something about that? I was just going to say it's this, um, yeah, mutual relationships or mutual you say it's the a word. big word. I didn't say. It's I not pur- a big word. It's mutuality. Mutuality. Yeah, mu- mutuality. I purposely yeah, mutuality. didn't say the That's word, right. and then he went. He is reading notes like verbatim over here, and I'm just, I'm just talking. It's just very simple mutuality among peers. And mutuality. So, um, actually, now that I say it, I'm like, okay, I've heard that word before. And yeah. so, if you, me too. Now that he said it, if you do learn mutuality among peers, right? If you, um, if you're friends with peers, if you're friends with peers, you deep. learn love, right? And if not, you learn exclusivity. Well, the psychosocial crisis is isolation, and with that comes exclusivity. Exclusivity. So that's you right. you shut out others, um, and so that's why it is. You know, I see this, and I've seen it in myself. You know, before getting married, um, you know, we've said before we didn't get married till a little bit later. I had a strong desire for marriage. Um, but the Lord did not bring that until later. And so, but I have always had, I would say, intimate, like vulnerable, connecting relationships with with friends. And so that's really important to have friends that that know the struggles of your life, that know the trials, that know the challenges, that can share the joys with you, that you can walk through life together. That's where intimacy comes in play and in marriage um that's probably the the greatest um intimacy that we get on earth someone that you know is physically spiritually um emotionally financially all the things lee connected to you and so you know it's not perfect but it's intimate because you know and you love and you accept but on the the flip side of that I think especially um, with disappointment, with prolonged singleness, with with marriage not going how you expect it to go, that's where isolation can can come into play. Um, That unwillingness to have a close, confiding, meaningful relationship, and then you begin to, that exclusivity, you want to shut others out. And so I think a lot of times that isolation kind of breeds bitterness, and breeds discontentment 
And with bitterness and discontentment, we start to say, well, I'm better off alone. I'm not going to be hurt. And yep. so I'm better off if you were just out. Like, I'm not going to get another roommate because my roommate's just going to get married and move on without me. Or, you know, I'm not going to open myself to my husband again. I don't want to physically give myself to him. I will be rejected. You know, all of that plays into um, a fear of intimacy, whether we know that it's there or not, resulting in isolation exclusivity but then the flip side is love and intimacy yeah i liked it like they gave a definition for love and uh, a lot of people are like what is love you know trying to give me a definition of it it's tough to define it but they gave it a shot and uh it says a set of feelings of or thoughts and motives that contribute the communication sharing and support and i was like okay you know i think at least you know love is that and so uh it's uh um, yeah, so intimacy, it leads to love. And, and I can just say, too, in marriage, you know, I did not grow up with very close relationships, I don't think. You know, I had, I had friends, my peers, and, uh, and being married to my wife is the first time where it's just been a good knowing her, her knowing me, walking through life together. And it's been a lot greater than I could have ever imagined. Where now I'm like, you know what? Jeepers, get married. You know, if you're a guy out there, go get married. And uh, it's not going to be easy. But my goodness, the intimacy and love that flows out of that alone is just incredible. And in how you develop as a person. Because and uh, yeah. Even with that love, you know, looking at love from the biblical perspective where we see love is patient and kind and not envious and not boastful, it's not proud, you know, just all of those qualities. When we give ourselves in love and when we receive love, like that gospel-centered, Christ-empowered kind of love, it's like one, we give ourselves without fear of being rejected, without fear of the like without isolation because it's like we have this superpower to love like Christ is loved and then on the other side we have freedom to receive love as a gift from God and so it just fuels intimacy um, when we view it rightly but our, our human tendencies come in and our sin comes in and we muddy it and we do fear and we get hurt and we do, we want to withdraw or we want to yeah. uh, shut out everybody. So, but I think, I think the struggle in this age right now and the age that we are in is like, we have to pursue relationships. Yeah. Right? And, pursue knowing other people, being known by other people. And so I would just say if you're single and listening I know that singleness gets really hard the older that you get, you know, 24, it's like, okay, you still have a chance to get married. But then you hit 30 and you're like, oh crap, 35, oh no, 40, that's not the stage we're in, but you, I'm still, I'm saying like, in singleness, pursue intimate relationships. That's right. Yeah. Do not allow yourself to be, um, isolated, isolated. That's right. And, uh, and so, yeah. All right. Well. We've gone through three more stages, and we are taking our sweet time to get through this. So we're going to hit pause here, and we're going to come back next time with... The last three. Yep. All right. We'll see you then. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.